Mets fans, prepare yourselves to get Metsmerized. Get Metsmerized! 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 Get Hello, and welcome to the debut episode of the Get Metsmerized podcast, presented by MetsmerizedOnline.com. Each week, MMO's Best will be bringing you all the latest news and analysis on everything to do with your New York Mets. I'm your host, Sal Manzo, joined by my co-host, Mike Mayer, the executive editor of Metsmerized Online and Mets Miners. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Sal. Doing how great. about you? Man, excited for this. And speaking of which, in today's episode, we'll be taking a look at the week that was for the Metropolitans, both on the field and off it, along with what might lie ahead for the Amazons. Last weekend brought in an emotional three games to Flushing, thanks to an exciting Subway series and the amazing tributes during the 20th anniversary of September 11th. We'll recap that memorable series, along with the major letdown that followed when the St. Louis Cardinals came to town, and preview the weekend ahead as a red-hot Bryce Harper and the Philadelphia Phillies come to City Field. Later on, Mike and I will dive into the Mets' upcoming offseason and their search for a new front office. Who could we expect to be the next president of baseball operations and general manager in Flushing? We'll discuss that and also give our reactions to the tremendous ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, Once Upon a Time in Queens. And finally... Mike will fill us in on what's happening with the top prospects in the Mets farm system. With that said, we've got a lot to cover in our first episode. So, Mike, let's dive right into the Subway Series. What are your reactions? What do you have for me? I mean, my first reaction immediately goes to Pete Alonso just right. missing that home run. I think that's everything that the series comes back to. It being the 9-11 game, it, I mean, being such a huge game for the Mets, but I think just an emotional game and... For him to just miss that type of Mike Piazza moment, I mean, he he thought it was gone. I thought it was gone. I think most people thought it was gone. I think it had an expected batting average of like 560 or something like that. I mean, it just felt like that was the type of moment that should have happened, and it ultimately kind of fell short. I guess in the long run, it's kind of kind of shows you how the Met season has gone. Really, it's kind of perfect for how the Mets have gone this season. They've kind of falling short quite a bit exactly and kind of to what you're saying you know that the big moments of the weekend was you know saturday night and the tribute and everything um that game itself was amazing that was probably one of the few times uh you know i didn't really care or win or lose because it was all you know it's also such an exciting game from you know first pitch really to the end coming back late a lot of back and forth like you said as far as with the theme of the mets you know they have an amazing you know an amazing weekend against the yankees uh win two out of three scoring a ton of runs feels like everything's clicking again and then you know maybe as expected because it was you know an emotional series there was a lot behind it just laying a total egg against the cardinals it's just like you said again you know to the to the theme of the season they can never put stuff together long term it feels like things click for a little while and then just go right back to zero and that's probably been the most you know one of the most frustrating things of the season so far i would say no oh yeah for sure and I mean, all the one-run losses they've had. I mean, at one point, they had seven one-run losses in a row. And then, I mean, Alonzo had another big home run that almost just was 
And I, well, it was going to go over the fence, but uh, Newt Bar got it. It, it. Yeah, it just felt like, well, here we are again. The Mets come short again. I mean, they, most of the time it hasn't been on offense like that. It's been with pitching uh, the bullpen or the offense not just going down easily. But I think it was even more frustrating kind of to see Alonzo in two times. I mean, the one with the Yankees would have put the Mets ahead and the one with the Cardinals would have uh, put them only one down. And then the next inning, the bullpen implodes and then it, it's a blowout at that point. So, I mean, those those are two games. And at this point in the season where the Mets are barely holding on to playoff lives, those two games are huge. That's, that's a huge swing for them. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a theme for the Mets season. And it, um, and going back going. to the Cardinals series, I want to kind of get your thoughts on uh, the move Rojas made, or I guess did make, um, when he chose Albert Almora to pinch hit late in the game, as opposed to Luis Guillorme. We know that Almora is not even hitting his weight. Guillorme back being healthy, hitting lefties well this year, I believe has around the 290-something average. Was that kind of the epitome of Rojas's tenure so far with the Mets, just sticking by the book or sticking by what the plan is up top and and not using your eyeballs in that sense. Can I, I just kind of want to get your comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough move to explain because he, if you look at the numbers, it's, I mean, Guillaume, regardless, because it doesn't matter if he's facing a lefty righty, he's your better chance to get on base in that situation. And I think, I think there's some fault with the front office there too that Elmore is even on the roster to be put in that spot. Perot. I mentioned the next morning, early the next morning, I'm like, why is Peraza, Jose Peraza not here, who's been great off the bench for the Mets. He's had a ton of huge hits this year and has looked good as a pinch hitter. And then, of course, the Mets bring him up later that day, but it's a day short. I mean, Peraza in that at-bat versus Elmore is obviously a huge boost for the Mets. And I mean, you, you could mention a bunch of other guys. If Brandon Drury's on the roster, if uh, Khalil Lee's on the roster, I mean, th- those are all significantly better options than um, Almora. So there's certainly, it's a questionable move by Rojas, uh, questionable at best. There's also, I think you need to look to the front office and the way that they had the roster constructed at the time too. I definitely agree with you there. And, you know, another thing and not picking on Luis Rojas or anything like that, but you know, it's, it's something that's been a talk of topic of him, you know, being able to pull out of the right buttons, you know, early in the year when guys were hurt and their replacement players were winning games and then kind of, you get your full lineup back. And, and obviously, you know, it's not all on Rojas. Obviously a lot of the guys, especially in the lineup are just not performing to the back of their baseball cards. And you kind of have to ride with who you have um, after a while, the things that seem to, make me a little nervous still late in the year and a little uh, frustrated is when I hear that, you know, there's n- the same amount of urgency in a September game as there is opposed to April or May. And obviously we know that that's not the case. You know, it's a problem in the sense that it's all hands on deck. You're, you know, four and a half games out of a playoff spot. I forget whenever, you know, what, what they were when he said it exactly, but you know, the, the, this is the time for urgency. September, August, September is the pennant push. You know, you're not getting you clinched a uh, playoff spot in one of division, nothing like that. You're out of the playoff realm. It's just, it's hard to hear. Um, especially with the expectations that were brought in this year and everything. And and I think, you know, eventually if Rojas does get let go and he's going to probably line, uh, you know, land somewhere else as a major league manager, they'll probably do well. You know, so there's probably a lot of growing pains for him and, you know, something that um, as a, you know, a, a young manager um, you go through, but it just, 
the sense of urgency just isn't there. And it's, it's strange, you know, eventually there's gotta be a little bit of a fire and a little bit of accountability, especially, you know, about two, two and a half weeks, you know, two, two and a half weeks left in the season. Um, People don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, more to like the baseball point of it, when you're talking about kind of pushing things is to me, the move I look to is Mm -hmm. pulling Stroman. He was only at 89 pitches. Stroman's the type of guy that can go out there and throw a hundred pitches. Um, I think you at least have to start him the next inning and go from there. I mean, the bullpen has been, I mean, it's been a heavily used bullpen right. this year. They've had to use the openers right. a lot. So they've had to get length out of guys. Um, Castro, May, Diaz, Familia. They've all pitched quite a few innings coming off a short season. So, and I know Stroman didn't pitch at all last year, right? but I mean, Stroman's basically been in a league that been beleaguered with injuries. You're talking about a guy that's been completely healthy all season. Well, one of the only few in, in either league I can really think of off the top of my head. Yeah. So I, I think if there's a guy you're going to push in this situation, I think Stroman is the guy that you should be pushing. Right. He's not an, I mean, he doesn't rely on high, high velocity sliders, mm-hmm. fastball. And I think he's the type of guy that you push in that to get right. one more inning out of. And, uh, to me, that was another move that kind of came out. Yeah, and kind of to your point with Rojas, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say that the Met should keep him, but he was put in a really tough spot. Yes. I mean, he, out of nowhere, became the manager of the Mets. And then two months into being the manager, had the season postponed because of a pandemic. Right. So, I mean, it's it's almost an impossible situation. He never really got the chance to get acclimated. And then in the middle of that, you get a new owner and a new GM and then your GM gets fired because of inappropriate stuff that he did. And then you get an acting GM and then he's put on leave. And then, so, I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to make excuses for Ross, right. but your point is I, I do think Rojas is going to be a good manager at some point. It's just, it kind of, he got thrown into the fire, I think a little bit and in a couple of impossible situations. Right. Uh, I'm hoping if they do move on from him, I'm hoping he'll stay in the organization. Right. He's been at the Mets since he stopped playing. Right. I, I'm hopeful that I think it's the right thing to move on, but I'm hopeful that they can keep him in some regard. Definitely. And to your point about Stroman, I'm obviously speculating here, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts on it. Do you think that there was any thought process to the fact that, hey, this guy, this guy has made 30 starts. He didn't pitch at all last year. Probably want to and also need to bring him back long term we're out of it yes you know he's he's been the the ace the horse so to speak you know with the ground being out so long he's the guy who's taken that mantle this year do you think that there's uh something that went into that kind of like you know looking to the long term of it just because he's uh, had such a huge low workload and maybe they think beyond this year yeah i mean i think that certainly that comes into it i mean even if stro doesn't come back to the mets you you don't want to be the organization that kind of right. makes a move that blows a guy's arm out or leads to an injury of some sort. I mean, that obviously plays into it. That being said, like I said, I still think that he's the guy in that moment that you're a push. And yeah, I mean, you want the Mets to be cognizant of the fact that he didn't pitch last year. You want that to be something going forward. We're two weeks left in the season. And that these are at this point, it's they're all must win games for the Mets. So, I mean, guys like Aaron Luke, if they're pitching seven pitches in one inning, right. then he probably should come out and pitch at least start the next inning. And I know that's not what Lupe has generally done. He's right. been one inning. He hasn't come really out after mm-hmm. regardless of how many pitches, but 
again, he's the type of guy you got to push. Right. And, you, and, you just, and I think to your point also, and he's shown that when he gets the ball, he's effective. You know what I mean? You know, it, there's sometimes obviously he's, you know, he's given up some things here and there. The guy's, you know, got a, a 1.04 ERA or whatever it is. You know, he gets the ball, he does his job. And to your point, you know, and it's probably a, ba- it's a baseball problem overall under usage of these relief pitchers, especially. But, you know, this late in the year and especially some guys in the bullpen aren't clicking now. And it's been like that all year. It's, again, a, a team that, that hasn't clicked all at the same time for an extended period of time. And like you said, you know, there's two weeks left in the year. You got to ride your hot hands a little bit. You know what I mean? You have to push a little bit more. Now, I understand maybe a little more like Stroman, but even with loop, like you're saying, you know, if a guy throws eight pitches an inning, he should be out there for another inning, especially if he's your most reliable reliever. You got to ride the hot hand. But, you know, again, I think for for Rojas, this is all learning things. And and I don't know, again, who's, you know, if, if these are scripted kind of things and he's getting these calls from elsewhere. But another guy I also wanted to talk about who, same kind of deal, you know, hasn't pitched a lot of innings really overall. It was Taiwan Walker, guy who's pitching right now, actually, um, as we're recording this. But he's a, another guy I wanted to talk to as far as never pitched this much in a year before. You know, a lot of it had to do with injuries and things like that. Obviously, the second half, you know, has not been nearly like it was in the first half. You know, really kind of seems gassed. Do you think that that's going to have a long-term effect on him for next year? Do you think it's going to impact moving forward? Do you think now struggle a little bit second half with the workload but now he has it under his belt can build on that and then you know take another step next year yeah i mean i think i think it's obviously disappointing from a met standpoint to see how good he was in the first half and he's i mean he's been terrible in the second half there's no sugarcoating it but i I, like you said i think a lot of that has to do with workload i mean he's just never uh, i think he had what 57 innings combined the last two and a half seasons coming into this the the workload isn't there and i mean a lot of us were talking one of the MMO chat talking about guys in the second half, like, well, who do we see regressing? And almost immediately mm-hmm. everyone's talking about Walker. And it's not because we don't think right. Walker is a good pitcher. It's because of the innings. I mean, I mean, it's just natural. The fact that he's being pushed beyond a point farther than he has, it's, it's going to catch up to him. And it did. I mean, you can see it on his, he's velocity wise. He's still, pretty close but you can see it right. in the late movement fastball the slide the, the command of his pitches that's just not where it was in the first half and definitely I, no, no one expected Taiwan Walker to be a 2.5 ERA guy right. all season right. but you also don't expect him to post the like ADRA right. in half a season either exactly so I, I think I think getting the workload he's gotten the workload under him like I said the velocity is still there and he's shown no signs of injury in the second half. So I mm-hmm. think ultimately this will be a good thing for him going forward next year and looking to see kind of more of a, I, th- I think he's uh, like a low four ERA guy, right? which is fine. I mean, that that's incredibly productive for a right. team at million a year. Right. Definitely. And one more point I want to make about Walker, um, just, you know, on the positive, you know, Saturday was probably his best start of the whole year. Um, I know John Smoltz said it a little bit um, and take it with a grain of salt because they do like two games a year and never watch the Mets. But, um, you know, to to give that up five runs early, especially I think it was all in the one inning, still give the Mets length, right? Not get knocked out, continue to pitch into the sixth, but hold them there. It gave his team a chance to get their bats going, get the offense going. For once it worked, it clicked. So I was actually really impressed by that. You know, he seems like a gamer. Obviously, like we talked about the second half overall, it's been really bad, but seems like a guy who's competitive and wants to always keep his uh, team to ball game. So I, I really respected his outing on Saturday and I wanted to make sure I, you know, got that out there, but moving on from 
that series against the Yankees and the Cardinals. Moving on to the team that's in City Field right now, the Philadelphia Phillies. We all love them, right? Just kidding. <laughs> you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit about this series. Obviously, they're playing the first game right now. And in particular, the first dude we have to talk about, obviously, is Bryce Harper. Probably going to be the NL MVP. I wanted to get your thoughts on him, his second half. I noticed a couple of swing changes with him um, that seemed to really work wonders uh, as far as quieting down, which I want to talk about. But first, I just want to talk to you about Harper's second half and like, you know, are you surprised by this? Obviously, you signed a huge deal. We know the player he's been in the past, but um, just tell me, you know, talk to me about him, probably future MVP candidate, Bryce Harper, or future MVP, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think even regardless of what the Phillies do playoff-wise, I think Harper's probably the MVP and mm-hmm. deservedly so. And I think, yeah, I mean, this this is the type of player that everyone's expected that Harper was going to be. And right. Harper had, Harper's had some really good seasons. Yep. I know it kind of gets overshadowed because of the whole narrative that, well, the nationals won the world series after Harper was left. So, I mean, he can't be that good. Well, he, he's pretty damn good and right. he's showing that now. And uh, in mean, the league and leading the whole league in OPS over 1400, I think it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I, he's, I mean, this is the type of guy I think he's basically going to be consistently for the next four or five years. And the the Phillies are lucky to have him. And I, yeah, I I think this is a, this is more of the Harper that we know. So unfortunately for the Mets and the rest of the division. And as Mets fans, especially, I think it's, it's very interesting to look at him because, you know, we've got to watch a lot of him, Um, you know, from coming up as an 18 year old in Washington um, and now with the Phillies, you know, we've, he can't get away from the guy, kind of like you said, but it's cool to see the maturation of especially his swing. He was a guy that came up and was so, you know, was very unorthodox, very herky-jerky, a lot of movement, arms, legs. And I think it was tough for him to start getting on time, especially with the high fastball with high velo. Um, that, many, that much moving parts, I don't care how talented you are, hand-eye coordination. You know, if, if you're um, not as quick and as fast as the ball as you can be, you're going to get burnt. And I think we saw that the you know last couple of years with him, but boys, he made that adjustment. You, you can tell he's so much more quiet at the plate. Uh, his body's quiet. He's really just looking to get the bat on the ball as quick as he can and do damage. And he's also, you know, he's hitting the ball again for power to left field, which he kind of, I think got away from the last few years trying to really sit on top of plate and pull balls. But outside of that, um, another Philly, I guess we have to talk about is uh, former Met Zach Wheeler pitching right now against the Mets. How much does it, irk you or upset you every time you watch this guy pitch and it feels like every series now against philly wheel has got to turn um in the rotation and he just kills the mets every time does it hurt even more now especially looking at the wheeler contract now it's a full season in philly and seeing how dominant he is got to be how do you rank that as far as like one of the 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 big flubs in the last few years with the mets obviously new owners you know different ownership and all that but still um now he's can stick it to the mets for a long time yeah i mean we talk about uh Harper as the MVP, I think Wheeler's got a pretty good ch- chance to win the Cy Young this year. Right. And again, rightfully so there. He's right in the conversation with Corbin Burns, yep. Walker Wheeler, yep. and a couple other guys. And I mean, again, I I don't understand why anyone would be I'd be surprised. This is the type of talent that right. Wheeler flashed with the Mets. Yep. And then his last season pitched well with the Mets. Um, he's the type of guy that you look stupid if you let go. Right. They did let him go, so they ended up looking pretty stupid. And then Brody makes himself dumber by making comments like the Mets performance staff is really why he got that type of contract. 
And then Wheeler just goes out and shows that that's not true at all. Yeah, I mean, it. I think it definitely hurts even more that he went to the right, Phillies so right. that now you have to watch him dominate you multiple right. times a year and also be a reason why you're potentially right now behind them in the standings. Right, um, exactly. I and, hope. Go ahead. And they And they didn't. I mean, they, they've gotten some nice production out of Stroman, obviously. Right, right. And Walker was really good for the first half, and you hope Carrasco is bounces back next year. But I, I, they still didn't replace that type of pitcher that Wheeler right. is. They didn't replace that. I know they tried to say Stroman was the replacement, but even, even at the time, Stroman was a pending free agent. So right. that right. doesn't make any sense. Yep. Because Wheeler was, I mean, he got a five-year deal. So you were looking at a type, that type of deal with Wheeler. I mean, ultimately, the probably the best thing they should have done was sign him to an extension during the right. season. Right. Beyond that, I mean, five five years, 110 million is the type of deal for that yep. type of pitcher that you should absolutely be matching. Right. And yeah. frankly, the you know, if you look at his production now, Phillies are probably getting bored. Oh uh, yeah. So that, I mean, that that makes it hurt even more. And to, like you said, um, hopefully, you know, the, the new regime has seen this and, and their impending free agent pitcher um, that they have this year that they don't let the same mistake happen. But another thing, you know, moving on from the series, you know, kind of the Philly series, I wanted to look ahead to, you know, the upcoming offseason. Um, I know there hasn't been a lot of talk about uh, things that might happen in the front office or anything. I know it's been a slow week, uh, but I thought we could kind of go over um, the Mets front office search. Uh, I know, you know, uh, John Heyman put out a thing today. Um, about linking Billy Bean and possibly uh, uh, Doug Melvin to the Mets. You know, it's like a partnership deal. Uh, I know that there's rumors that other big fish are in play, whether it's the Theos of the world or other guys like that. Um, I just kind of want to get your feeling on everything, uh, where you think the Mets are at. Do you think it's going to happen quickly? Um, Because, you know, another worry, I think, for a lot of fans are that there's not going to be an infrastructure put in place in enough time to want to, or to be able to make the moves that are going to be able to need as far as, you know, re-signing key free agents, bringing pieces in. When do you see the search kind of going down to like final and, and then making decisions? And is there anyone in particular that like you think besides the names we've heard that would be good fits for the roles? I just want to kind of get your thoughts on all that. First off, I just want to, you said Doug and it's Bob. Bob I did it as but soon as, it, sorry, it everyone. It's bound to happen. They've, Doug and Bob both have Mets connections. Yes, yes. So and I, and I didn't realize Bob Melvin had Mets connections until earlier today when all the stuff had been coming out. But yes, thank you yeah. for that. Going to get yeah. killed but, by the Twitter folks. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's likely where the Bob Melvin connections end uh-huh. for them because I they have uh, Oakland has an option for 2022 on okay. Melvin. Seems like. That would be a no-brainer to pick up. Right, he's he's easily regarded as one of the right. best managers in baseball. Uh, there's some speculation there was in uh, Ken Rosenthal's article that maybe ownership there in Oakland wants to cut some cost by getting rid of Bean and Melvin, right? Because uh, they're trying to cut cost any way they can, and obviously Bean and Melvin are right well-known guys, so they're getting paid for that. So mm-hmm. if they bring in younger guys to do that, right. That would I, I be just, the ultimate Oakland A's uh, way. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. 
My question to you is what would compensation for that look like to, to, to try and would, would they have to trade for Bob Melvin? And when they, and I know Billy Bean, he has like ownership stake in the A's and I want to uh, correct myself. It was the Ken Rosenthal, uh, Ken Rosen, Rosenthal article on the athletic. I said, Hey, before we're over two folks. Sorry for uh, episode one. We're still getting the kinks out. It's all good though. But yeah, you know, is, is that something that's going to hold it up? Because that, that's obviously kind of a weird thing. You have to give that up. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that he would be taking less money to do that to come to New York. So, like, what would something like that look like? Yeah, I, th- I think, obviously, um, Bean would have to divest his stock, which is 4% in the athletics. Um, I mean, so if he's divesting that, um, he's obviously going to want some stock in the Mets. Right. So I, I think right up front, that is something that Cohen's going to have to be willing to offer. Uh-huh. Just like it would be with Epstein. Theo mm-hmm. Epstein, he's been a hot name. And everything I've heard and everything you've read is the fact that he's not going anywhere to be right. a president of baseball ops unless he gets, yeah, and yeah. he gets some uh, ownership in the team right. too. Right. So, I mean, that's that's obviously going to have to be something Cohen's willing to do. And right. I think I think he will be for okay. the right guy. Personally, I think Cohen is the one that's pushing for Epstein. Mm-hmm. And I think Bean is obviously being pushed by Alderson. Right. I mean, right. The connection there is obvious, but I also think that Alderson's putting it out there uh-huh. to the media, right? Because that's what he wants. I mean, Alderson knows what he's doing. He's been playing this game a long time. He wants Bean. One of the best ways to get Bean is to put pressure put it out there in the media right especially new york media yep. national media i mean this is one of the biggest stories of this offseason is going right. to be who do the mets get for president of base shuffling down to gm um, manager all that i mean that's going to be one of the biggest stories that all of baseball is watching until they hire those guys so i think i still i everyone i've talked to sees it unlikely right now that the mets end up with one of those big names okay epstein cheering off from the Indians, mm-hmm. uh, being from the A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot, a lot of these guys are in good situations right, right. now. Right. Um, they're, and not just good, comfortable situations. Right. They're in situations right. that they've been in. Right. They have families that have been in those right. locations for a long time. And, and let's be honest, the Mets do have new ownership, but the right. last year has been a disaster. Yes. I mean, and- it's been riddled with constant public issues whether it was porter right um the thumbs down thing scott getting arrested Mm -hmm. um cohen's tweets right um i'm missing probably five or six things at this point and you know going back to to the mickey calloway stuff that had had come out you know before you know and the thing that worries me and and we'll talk about this a little bit you know i'd like to get your thoughts on you know if you would like a Billy Bean here, uh, what you would feel about that. But I was a little surprised when I saw that there was no, no absolute, um, you know, it was absolute certainty that Sandy Olson was coming back as the president of the Mets. And again, the pedigree, and I understand he has the experience, but not for nothing, all this stuff that's gone on within the last year that's been reported, it's been under his watch, whether indirectly or directly from Callaway on, um, you know, it's, it's a culture thing. And clearly, Sandy Alderson comes from a, a different generation. 
of more. And it seems like more the Davy Johnson of if it doesn't affect my work, I, I don't care. Show up and do your job. But unfortunately, if you know you want to build a winning organization and a winning brand, you have to show that you respect your employees and you have a good environment in place. And it just feels weird to me that the guy that's kind of been at the helm for a lot of this is still being given the reins when it, it feels as though he's he's from a bygone. Sandy's either from a bygone era or he, he's long in the tooth not to do this. And it worries me the longer that he's here, whether he's the president um, strictly focused on business or not, especially with a Billy Bean reunion, I do worry that his hand is going to be in the cookie jar as far as with the baseball stuff. And at this point, I, I don't know if I want to see that. I don't want that to really continue. Uh, I don't know how you feel about all that, but I kind of just wanted to get that out there that it just it felt a little strange that that of all the people that Sandy was definitely coming back because it felt like with this last year that they would want to cut ties and want to do something completely new to you know kind of wash away this 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 bad image that's been coming out. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking to someone the other day. Um, there's a couple of, there's like three easy things the Mets could do right now to try to wash away all the nastiness of the mm -hmm. last. Um, and obviously, I, I don't mean like just wash it away. Like you still right. have, right. Um, that type of stuff is never going away. The sexual harassment and the seriousness of it isn't right. going away. Yep. For me, Cohen stopped tweeting was one of them. Or reeling, reeling it in a little bit. Right. Uh, the other two was getting rid of Alderson and Scott. Alderson more so, I, like you said. I, and we haven't even mentioned the Ryan Ellis thing, their right. hitting instructor, which was another sexual mm -hmm. harassment that the athletic brought up, brought up. Or David Newman, right, who was let go and then came back to the Mets, was hired back by Sandy Alderson. And... Um, yeah, I, I don't understand how you try to reset this culture with Sandy Alderson right. from the payroll at all. Mm -hmm. um, look, I, I'm a guy that grew up in baseball idolizing Sandy Alderson. Right. He was someone that I wanted to be. He was someone that I looked up to. Um, right. We found out that whether he's, it's just him turning a blind eye right. or however he's handled it, it's been wrong. Right. Um, and, and that's, there's no way you would think that Cohen would want him to continue going on. Right. Um, and I mean, it's tough to speculate exactly why we know that there's a two year contract. So maybe right. Right. Cohen is trying to honor that contract. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that Cohen brought in Alderson because he was highly respected yep. by the other owners right. and Cohen needed the vote. So we, we know that's playing into it. Right. So maybe this is Cohen honoring that mm -hmm. contract, honoring the reason why he brought on Alderson and not just getting rid of him after one year. Right. But it, it, it just feels like the Mets need such a reset yeah. this off season. This, it was a, it was a late sale last year. Yeah. Didn't Cohen really didn't get to sink his teeth in and kind of overhaul yeah. the front office. Like they really would have liked to. And to me, the best thing to do to start right off the off season is, Alderson's gone and right. someone else is going to lead the search. Cause now right. you also have Alderson leading the search, which, so he's obviously going to bring in the person that he mm -hmm. wants. Mm -hmm. are, are we, are we sure Alderson is the guy we want hiring again? You took, you took the words right out of my mouth, Mike. I was going to say the same person who could not vet all these other issues or did and left them alone 
You now expect that person to make a complete 180 and to be able to do that correctly and put the places in, you know, put the pieces in correctly. I'm not buying that. And again, I, I don't care about the tweeting as much from Cohen. Um, I, I look at it from the, the perspective of the previous ownership, never engage fans, and always tried to do things hush hush and, and never wanted to, to be out in front and forward. So I appreciate Cohen's willingness to, to engage with fans and put himself out there. But I, I do think to a point, it also might scare and maybe not the tweeting per se, but just his expectations in general, he put out from the jump, you know, you know, he put three to five years to win. He wants to contend every year. And like you said, with these big fish, they're in comfortable spots and spots that aren't New York and aren't the New York media with our, you know, with their expectations. So uh, I'm a little torn with that because I do think it can, it might hinder getting those big fish to come here per se. But on the other hand, I also think that if, if the owner tweeting things, you know, uh, uh, that might be a little forward, a little cocky and has high expectations. If that makes you scared, I probably don't want you running this team anyway. So it's a, it's a tough balance, I think. But again, to me, it all starts with Olison at the top now. And that, that scares me. I, I really have no faith in the sense that he's able to make insightful decisions. And like you said, bring in people that he knows and that they're actually going to be vetted and make sure that we're not going to have these extremely embarrassing and awful issues that came up all during this year that, you know, wasn't issues from this year. It's from years and years and years during his tenure. So I definitely agree with you there, you know, and going circling back, I guess, to, to the Billy Bean point, besides him, are there other maybe under the radar names that like aren't the quote unquote big fish, but guys that are folks that, that you think would be a good fit for the Mets and could come in and make a good impact. I mean, David Stearns, obviously, uh-huh. guy that would love to have any organization would love to have. Um, right. He's another guy that's not going anywhere. Uh-huh. He, he's staying with the Brewers. Um, but that's the thing you keep running into is even these other guys is like, what, why are they going to leave their team? Right. Are you going to be able to get them to leave their team? The, the name that I keep hearing that was reported last year, he actually interviewed last year is Michael Hill. Okay, I heard that too. Old front front office exec from I shouldn't say old. He's actually fairly young. I I mean old as in he used to work for the Marlins. Yeah, yep. um, works in the league office now. Mm-hmm. Highly respected guy. Uh, people rave about this guy. I know last time when the Mets interviewed him, they had a lot of guys excited about right. A, a lot of people that work in baseball excited about the possibility of working for him. Okay, I know from people I've talked to that they talked about the possibility of him being the president of baseball ops. And then Bobby Heck from the Rays, right. Being DM. Okay. And again, in that scenario, from the people I talked to, there was guys in baseball lining up to work for these guys. Mm-hmm. They're open-minded. They're easy right. to work for, and they're willing to listen to anything and everything to right. try to make teams better. Whether those guys end up with the Mets, I mean, it'll remain to be seen. I think right. they're still going to be fish hunt like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And there'll be other names to pop out too. I mean, the season's not over yet. I'm, I'm sure as we get closer to the end of the season, we'll hear some more names that right. pop up. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I know that Cohen is kind of the pusher of getting this big name. I, I don't think that's necessarily what they need. I think structure right. is the biggest key. Mm-hmm. I think whether it's a big name guy, or it's someone that's just good at his job, right? Well respected, mm-hmm. um, can run an organization. 
I, I think that's the type of guy that they kind of need at the top and let him bring in some people right. that he trusts that he's worked mm-hmm. with and to set into a new structure and create a new image for the Mets. I mean, right. that, that's ultimately what they need. I mean, say for instance, they hired Theo Epstein. What, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to be the first question they ask Theo Epstein? Who's your general manager? Where your manager? Well, well, yeah, but when you worked with Jared Porter, did you know uh, about? Ah, uh, that's you know, and that's something. The stuff with the Mets, there's so many layers to this, and that's it. Just leads back to my point that like it's so annoying that Sandy Olson is still here. Yeah. Um, I think it just all goes back to, you know, with that same kind of deal. Cause now you're right. Um, you have, and uh, same deal with, with Zach Scott as well. Do they have yeah. a, yeah, right. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I definitely hear you there. Um, well, to, well, the to, other thing, I got a go message, ahead. uh, a baseball executive the other day. And it's like, uh-huh. who's, who's taking the Mets job to be in an Alderson sandwich. Right. Because you have Sandy as the president of Ops and GM now, and his son is the assistant GM. Now. That's right. So it's just you're putting whoever that is in a weird position. Right. Because he's feeling pressure from the bottom. Yeah. And hit from the boss's son. And so it, it creates another weird dynamic right. with Alderson. I, I guess the only way you fix that with Alderson still with the Mets. Is that you say you come right out and say that he's going to be on the business side, right? And that's all he's doing, right? Whoever is president of Ops is going to be—he's the guy. He's yeah. the one that's making the moves. He's the one that's okaying the moves, right? And I think you also have to do that. I know for a fact last year some of the guys that um, interviewed for the GM spot were not guaranteed that. Wow. They were not guaranteed that they were going to be the ones making decisions that Alderson was going to still be overseeing it. And some of the names they were trying to get, that those guys aren't going to do that. Right. If you hire Theo Epstein, Theo Epstein is going to be the guy. Right. Billy Bean is going to want to be the guy. And these not guys for, don't want to answer to someone right. else. And not for nothing. That's why you're bringing these names in so they can run the show yeah. because the we talk about, you know, back of the baseball card. That's why they're there because they have that pedigree and I'm with you. Just the, the, the dynamic just seems to get stranger and stranger. I really don't understand. Um, you know, uh, the point you made made a lot of sense as to why he's probably still here with, you know, the contract and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know if, if they're serious about changing the culture, it seems like it starts with them. So hopefully they can do that. Um, but you know, to put a, a button on that Met circus, um, we'll bring it back to a Mets team that uh, was good and won a championship. Um, may have been a little crazy themselves, but uh, talking about obviously the 86 Mets and the uh, Once Upon a Time in Queens documentary that aired this week. Um, kind of wanted to get your reactions on it, uh, what you thought, um, you know, favorite part, things you didn't know, that kind of stuff. So let me hear what you got to say. Yeah. I first off want to give a shout out to producer Nick Davis. Yes. Great job. He did a great job on it. And he also did an interview with us that went up today on Metsmerize. Nick did. So definitely check that out, everyone, if you haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, I was born in 87. Right. So obviously wasn't there, didn't see it. Uh, my dad tells me stories all the time. Um, my dad's favorite story is right as Mookie Wilson was getting ready to get up to the plate. He was because we live in Maine. So we're in right. Red Sox country. 
this guy that he had a bet for a couple hundred dollars on the series jumped on my dad's lap and lit a cigar as Mookie Wilson was getting ready to come to the plate. That, that's like my big connection to that team is that cool story from my dad and him just teaching me about it and everything. And yeah, I mean, a lot of it created, it was some good insight that kind of see, speaking of dads, that's a lot of yes. what it was, was these players' connections and relationships with their dad from Keith right. Hernandez kind of having that overbearing dad that won't yeah. leave you alone and feel, I mean, Keith Hernandez has an MVP <laughs> award and his dad right. still calling yep. him and telling him what he's doing. And then stories with Dwight Gooden right. and Strawberry with some less fortunate stories yep. with their dads and stuff. And I, I think that's, that's kind of what stuck right. out to me as someone who's played a lot uh -huh. of baseball, watched a lot of baseball and did that because of yeah. my dad. So it kind of gave me that personal connection to those players in a good and right. a bad way through the, their uh, relationships that they had with their dad. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was obviously fantastic. There's a lot of, I mean, you knew about the drug use to an extent and stuff right. and right. they got into, they didn't get to like a ton of the details and stuff, but I, I don't think it was necessary to, but yeah, it was there. I think that's obviously a tarnish on that team right. a little bit back then that was kind of more like right yeah whatever and I, and I think that was the cool part of the documentary and in the article that that came out today uh with nick he, he said you know uh, we wanted to i wanted to present the whole story so that you know there's there's good part of it there's the bad there's the real and i thought you really kind of got a whole sense of that like you know these players um you know guys reminiscing on on you know the season they had 35 years ago that means so much to them um, but also like, you know, they had a lot of fun and everything, but also you look back and you see that, like, you know, things, a lot of stuff, you know, kind of went under the rug and, 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 you know, I think they, they touched on that very, you know, tastefully and, and all that. And kind of to your point with Keith, you know, especially us being, you know, Mets fans and listening to Gary, Keith and Ron every night. Um, I'm same as you. I was born in 1991. So I missed out on, uh, I missed out on that team as well. I only know through stories, but to see Keith be super candid. Um, about his personal life, not only with his dad, but the uh, the court hearing and all that stuff, getting traded, you know, and he was like, they're sending me to Siberia. Uh, you know, that was that was awesome. I, I didn't know, you know, I knew some of that. Um, I didn't realize a lot of the reason why. And also, like, how much he hated New York. And if yeah. it wasn't for his dad, you know, kind of saying, listen, man, they got some good players in the minor leagues, probably stick this thing out. And, you know, I, I liked the line that, that Keith had that was like, I, I made a lot of bad decisions on my own. I trust my dad. So I, I just listened to him. Yeah. I thought that was uh super poignant. And also I have to talk about Lenny Dykstra because he probably made the entire documentary. Lenny Dykstra is a nut job. We know how he was as a person and everything, but it was really cool to hear that guy, like kind of talk about it, you know, reminisce on it because the way he speaks and how crazy he is, even describing plays, I think it was the game in San Diego when he said, you know, I, I'm obviously not going to repeat what he said, but he threw a seed to home plate. And then they got the runner out of third who tried to advance from second and the game was over. And the way just he described it and like the jubilation in his voice, it was really cool. Same thing with, you know, hearing a lot from, from Mookie Wilson, um, you know, his perspective. Uh, I didn't realize the thing about his eye on spring training and that the yeah. fact that they had that video was pretty incredible. Obviously in that video was Gary Carter. And that's another person I wanted to bring up. Obviously there's nothing we, you know, they could do about it, but you felt his presence missed glad that his wife was in it and was able to talk about a lot of stuff, 
But I kind of felt like, and I don't know if it was more like, because uh, that's what they did, so they wanted in fun. They're kind of picking on Gary a little bit. Poor guys are not there to defend themselves. Keith is river what is like, you know, the kid with the curtain goes, rah, rah, raising his hands up. They picked on Gary a little, I think, because he was like Mr. Perfect. But you realize like how truly important he, Keith Hernandez and Ray Knight were on those teams, on that team in particular. And it's funny on who, he, who spoke and who said who the leader was. Because, you know, Mookie said that Keith was the leader. Uh, someone else I forgot said that Gary was the real leader of the team. And then I forget who it was that was like, no, like, right, this was Ray Knight's team. He was the leader. So it's funny seeing different players' perspectives and I guess kind of who they were drawn to and how they felt about certain guys. Besides that, and again, objective was not born then. I didn't get to watch every game. So it was cool seeing like their regular season games, um, stuff that, I, you know, like besides the playoffs, like that you normally see. But for a 108-win team, they did not play well in the postseason. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble. Had fans that got to watch it. You're very lucky. I've never seen a championship. I'm not knocking anything. But for a team that was so dominant, they kind of backed it. Like, they messed up a little bit in the playoffs. They, like, backed into a championship. And I didn't realize how much it was. Like, I knew about Mike Scott. Knew he was nasty and all that stuff. But you watch those videos, and besides the fact that he was totally in all the Mets' heads, Every strikeout, they turn around, turn around, yell at the umpire, turn around, yell at the umpire. That's not what championship teams do. And there are a few times in both series, obviously, that they caught some big breaks that if it wasn't for, you know, things kind of going their way, we would be talking to them, you know, talking about them as, you know, maybe the most dominant team that never won. I just find that, you know, very interesting. Did you kind of get that sense too, like from watching yeah. it? And I mean, obviously, after that season, it was kind of the expectation of, well, yeah, this is just the first, yeah. Like this is just, this is where, this is where the Mets are going to be this franchise that keeps winning. Right. Um, but if it, it felt like Frank Cashin, like after at least the way it was depicted in the documentary, he kind of blew a lot of the, the main cogs up, haggled over years with Ray Knight didn't bring him back, traded um, Kevin Mitchell, who goes on to be an MVP. Because, you know, the line that he said, he thought that Kevin Mitchell was the bad influence on Strawberry and Gooden, which he was couldn't be the farthest from the truth. It just it almost felt like in a way Frank Cashin like had a and they talk about in doc, like a vision of a ball player being a professional and that kind of thing. Kind of felt like even though they were great. Right. Um, and even, you know, 87, they had injuries, 88, they lose in the, you know, in the NLCS to the Dodgers. But like they had a great core in place, but he didn't like the kind of people they were and it's like he didn't like how they're how they won games and how they went about things and like he he wanted to to like change the image almost i don't know if i'm reading too much into it but it was a little weird like key cogs of your team just not bringing back and, and pushing away um did, did you get that sense at all well for me i mean how you're just describing like how frank cashin felt um is basically the exact opposite of how Dave right. Johnson felt. Like you're describing, it's like they had two right. completely thoughts about what a baseball yep. player was and what they should be doing. And I mean, like you said, Cashin's like, well, they need to right. be outstanding citizens, this type of thing. And David Johnson's like, I don't right. care that right. they're doing coke. Do as much coke as you want as long as you're performing right. on as the as long field as you're at you're the ballpark and winning, I don't care. Which I mean. Obviously, there has to be a certain Correct. amount. I thought personally that the documentary kind of made Davey look bad mm -hmm. in that regard. 
that he's just letting free reign. Like, yeah, I I agree with you. At some point, there has to be there has to be a line, right? And just showing up on time to play a baseball right. game really isn't that line. Like, yeah, there, there has to be some sort of responsibility for them right. to right. And, not uh, shit face. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, sh- showing up twenty minutes before the game, getting your uniform in the parking lot. <laughs> Daryl was he hinted at that they were picking up girls yes. in between innings. Yes, and from yeah. from more of it, that seemed that ha- I don't know, I don't know how you won one hundred and eight games being that distracted, but I guess yeah. they were able to do it. But, <laughs> I um, mean, yeah, think think about how many games they would have won. If they weren't, I guess. I yeah, mean, right. If, the, if there were nine Gary Carters on the team, yeah, yeah. they all went to church every week. They would have won. They would have. They would have went one sixty-two and zero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the last no, point I mean, on that, go, go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. Uh, the last point I just want to make on the doc, uh, the story that like stood out the most, I think, was the story with Bobby Ojeda about his arm. He had said he had structural damage in his elbow. He had to start game six of the NLCS. It's a turn to get the ball, and imagine they call the team doctor. Guys in DC, he's like, I need to get shots. Gets on a charter flight from New York to Delta, meets the guy at his hotel room, gets the shots in his elbows, flies back to New York, and then flies to Houston. And no one knows a thing. That would never happen now. Could you imagine if any Marcus Stroman or Jacob DeGrom went to go get a shot for their arm, you know, in a playoff push, tried to sneak away and get a shot? The whole world would know in 10 minutes. I just thought that was like, you know, for the time and like how different things are. He even said, like, you know, at the time you're a gamer, right? But like, really, was I hurting? You know, you think about it, was I hurting the team? Cause like, you know, I'm pitching with an injury and like, you know, everything worked out the way it was supposed to. And like he said, I was a game, Tur- turned out I was a gamer. Um, but it's just the, the different philosophies and how different things were. And, and I guess how, you know, the, the, the age of athletes now, as far as like, you know, guys are making so much more money and then, you know, their bodies are such a huge investment and, you know, with the teams and everything that, that if that happened, everyone on the team would get like every staff member would get fired. Yeah, it was, it is kind of crazy just to see that. I mean, between that and like, we're talking about with the drug use and right. stuff like that. I mean, it, it's just kind of crazy to see in 35 years, just mm-hmm. how much baseball has changed or even society has changed in right. regard i mean when the mets i mean when they after the mets got arrested and they came home the next home series yeah. they got cheered yeah. the players got cheered <laughs> i mean that's that's just not the same type of thing reaction that you would see anywhere nowadays else. only yeah. and it's only in new york hilarious wild yeah but, you know, moving on from that, the last topic I wanted to really get into um, going, you know, going from the big league Mets, um, you know, we want to talk farm system every week while we're on here. And there's no better, no, no better to do that with than you. Uh, just wanted to get an, you know, um, an update on, on the Mets miners, uh, some of the big prospects, how they're doing, what you see for them um, moving ahead and kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one guy I've kind of mentioned a little bit already is Khalil Lee. Ever since getting sent down when he was up with the Mets, right? He's been great. I mean, he leads the Northeast League there in uh-huh. uh, OPS, right? Um, he's been fantastic. Strikeouts are still up a little right. bit, but this is a guy that's getting on base over mm-hmm. a 400 clip. He's right. hitting for more power in the second right. half. He's playing a good right field. Mm-hmm. He does play some center. And I think, I mean, he's a guy that can, will play some center. He's got enough right. speed. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a guy I think probably should have been up for the Mets in September. I I'm right. sure they 
their thought process was making sure he got more bats. Um, I know he had an awful offensive right. stint early this year for the Mets, but they didn't have any right. options. Right. They had no options whatsoever. Right. They had no one else on the 40 that he, he was breathing. So that meant he had to be called up. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I'm not playing into looking into any, any of that. He, he was a guy that was not ready for the big right. leagues at all at that point but it's it's good to see that type of maturity that he was able to be absolutely terrible in the big leagues in a short stretch and then go down in the minor leagues and essentially dominate triple a which is what he's done so i think that's really impressive and the next one is mark vientos in triple a he's only playing the second game tonight and he's homered in both uh he went two for two for four in his first game and three for three with a home run tonight as he's we're playing out of position three now, too, three. in the outfield as well, right? Yep. The, uh, he's okay. playing third base tonight for AAA Syracuse, but he has, he's been playing some left um, this year in double A and he's been right. playing some first. I mean, he's at third base. He's, he, mm-hmm. they pushed him over to first because he is a good okay. defensive third baseman. Um, for me, I've seen some improvement there. He's also um, cut down too okay. this year. He, he looks, right. he's in better shape this year. So he's moving a little bit better right. on the base pass and in the field, which makes him uh-huh. a better option in left field. I, I still, I still don't think he's he's the type of guy that you're going to see as an asset glove wise at right. third or left field. But I, I mean, you're talking about a guy that after tonight now has 23 home runs and around 400 at bats this year, wow. and an OPS over 900. Wow, uh, not and not a huge big strikeout rate and mm-hmm. he, he goes to right field a lot and talking to someone in the Mets organization, they have his exit reload numbers right around Alonzo when he wow. was in double. Right. They said he was right there along with Alonzo on the exit below. So, I mean, that that's the type of hitter you're obviously getting excited about. Gotcha. Um, and then of course the issue becomes, well, where do you play him? Because essentially with his, his type of glove at third uh-huh. year, I mean, you're thinking J.D. Davis. Right, right. Dave, Davis is a guy that's always been able to hit and struggle defensively. I, I do think Vientos is a little better at third, like I said, now that he's slimmed down. Um, okay. I think he's moving a little better laterally for balls. So okay. I, I, think, I think that's a good sign there. Right. Uh, obviously, I mean, that's a position that the Mets might need to upgrade. Yeah, right. Or upgrade this offseason as third base. So I don't mm-hmm. – I'm not sure um, Vientos is the guy you plug in there yet. Right. Even with its good performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's uh, turning 22 soon. So right. he's still young, only has a couple of games in AAA. I think, I think if, depending on what the Mets do, I think you might want to just see him in AAA and then stick him at third and make, right. and get him to improve and be that third baseman mm-hmm. of the future. So. Now, with the universal DH probably coming next year, you think that, that might open up more of a spot for a guy like that? Uh, you know, not not necessarily maybe making the roster out of camp, but if he's someone that's hot, um, you know, being able to bring him up and have him contribute that way. Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely something that would make sense to do, especially if they need a bat and he started off the year well. I think I think he's the type of guy that is going to do well, right, offensively at the big league level. So. Yeah, and th- that could be a spot like midseason. They need a DH or someone to take at bats in that spot. I think that's the timeline you're looking at is gotcha. about midseason next year. I think okay. he he's your next prospect you're looking at. Um, Brett Beatty's a little bit behind right. him. 
Right. He's he's still in Double A. Um, I think you'll he'll, he'll probably start next year in Triple A. Uh huh. So he would be kind of that next guy you're looking at mm -hmm. before you get into Mauricio, mm -hmm. who's in Double A right now. Um, mm -hmm. and then Alvarez after him as your big uh, position prospect. Right. So Alvarez is in Brooklyn now, and he's got an 880 OPS in Brooklyn yeah. and 19 years old. When so. do you think realistically, speaking on Alvarez, because, you know, people are especially he's been in Brooklyn this year. So I feel like fans have seen more of him um, and followed a little bit more because of that. Realistically, when is he someone that that do you think could could see, uh, you know, like the big leagues? I know he's probably a few years away at this point, like you're saying, because he's so young and the defense has to probably catch up with it. But like, what are they what are the Mets project as far as that goes? What do you think? I mean, the Mets absolutely love this yeah game. and it's not and it's not just the mets it's all the pundits baseball america baseball mm -hmm. prospectus um fan graphs i mean he's in the top 15 in all of these and prospects in baseball yep. and the top 10 in some right uh, keith Law had him in top 10 and a couple others had wow. him in the top 10 so i mean you're talking about a kid at 19 in top 10 prospects in baseball um and i honestly if they weren't so nervous about a 19 year old catcher in the rankings i think you'd be even higher wow. so i i think a lot of people actually see him as a top five prospect wow. in baseball they're just nervous to kind of put that number on a catcher gotcha. that's 19 yeah i mean i think next season he definitely starts in binghamton mm -hmm. and then it's kind of what he does yeah, right i mean this year i think the mets kind of expected him to be in st Lucie for a little longer uh -huh. He hit his way out of St. Louis. Right. They, they had no option. Right. They were, they'd stopped pitching to yeah. him in St. Right. Louis. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you have no choice but to kind of promote him gotcha. and see what happens. He's been terrific over the last 40 games. He has OPS over 950 in high A. Wow. Yeah. He doesn't turn 20 until November. Wow. So, I think you put him in Binghamton with the expectation mm -hmm. that he's going to be in Binghamton for potentially all of the year, if not most of the year. Right. Because, because there are there's things on this defense. He still needs to work on blocking. Uh -huh. At times you see him kind of take the easier route to mm -hmm. blocking. Okay. And he's got a good arm. It's just the uh, accuracy at times is an issue gotcha. when he's throwing. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting nitpicky. nitpicky obviously, he's a top right. 10 prospect the, the, baseball. The tools so are there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's, he's the type of guy that I think worst case scenario is going to be an average catcher right. which is completely fine if you're talking about a guy right. that is a top five offensive catcher in baseball i mean this is the type of ceiling that we're talking about with alvarez so what you're saying is he'll be able to put a tag down at home plate when there's a runner out by 40 feet yes I, I that's think the bar i just want to make sure if he could do that <laughs> and catch the ball we're in good shape it's all good yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I i mean next i definitely don't think you see him next year and then the year after i i still think you're being pretty aggressive with the timeline if there's alvarez playing any significant right. major league time in okay. 2023 i i mean unless his bat is just keeps going yeah. i mean he, this is a type of guy as a catcher you want him to develop defensively before he gets to the big league yeah Gotcha. You, you don't want him to be up in the big leagues and make himself look 
overmatched right. back there. Right. We want him to get into spring training with some of the big league pitchers mm-hmm. and work with guys. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, best case scenario. Well, I, I don't want to say best case because he, he could force his way offensively, uh-huh. but I, if you want to be smart with it, I think late 2023 is probably mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But more, more so 2024 is like nice. a holistic expectation. And, and, and I, I know think fans don't want to be that patient with a guy like that, but I, right. again, he's 19 and yeah, he's catching. And I know some people have talked about, well, you could move him out off of catcher and then that might accelerate. But I mean, this dude is a beast. I, right. I stood next to him uh-huh. and I'm five, nine, and he's maybe an inch taller than me. Uh-huh. So you're talking about a guy that's five ten and just built like we're built talking. Like, yep. There's no fat on this guy. So, I mean, where are you putting him defensively if it's not right? Catcher? Right. There's no other position that that body builds. Right. You're not sticking a guy that's 5'10 over at first base. Right. And to what you're saying also, if he really is going to be that, you know, and again, even if he's a, an average defensive catcher, if the bat is what they're thinking, you don't want to rush that along. There's no need to, because also you don't want, like you're saying, you want to rush that along, even move to a new position. Then that starts affecting his offense. Cause now it's in his head that he's got something new to learn. I agree. Totally. You want to make him comfortable and whether Met fans like it or not, James McCann is going to be here for three more seasons. So, yeah. and they're paying him $10 million. It is what it is. And not for nothing. Tomas Nito is a serviceable back serviceable backup catcher and even if they have to platoon he showed that in spurts his back can can play a little bit than you know more than the past so you know it may not be ideal but for kind of what everything you're saying let's not rush this guy let him do his thing um and you know hopefully like you said to 2023 2024 he's ready to rock and roll and we'll all be ready for it and kind and of just my last point go ahead, last go ahead. i want to touch on is uh right-hander just about to ask it. <laughs> so perfect um yeah there's last four starts in uh for brooklyn he's only uh-huh. given up two runs and obviously that's the good news but I, right. I think even important for him is coming back from tom and john right the last couple of starts his fastball velocity has been up a tick wow um average fastball velocity has been closer to 94 okay and he's been hit 95 more consistently um which is good because early in the year he was more 92, 93. Okay. And obviously the results were still pretty good in right. St. Lucie. That's right. why he got uh, bumped up to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. He struggled a bit to start at Brooklyn, which I, I mean, that's going to happen. He's going to hit a little Tommy John bump right. there, you yep. think, and going up to a higher level. Uh-huh. Um, he's been terrific the last four, four starts. And like I said, the velocity has been there, which is a key, a key thing to track. So, right. um, it's, it's a good sign because nice. other than getting um, the pitching prospects with Matt Allen out for the year mm-hmm. and some of the other guys right. in the lower level, had they had three other guys in their top 30 that had Tommy John too. So okay. it's important to have a guy like Ginn and seeing how well he's progressing. Yep. Definitely. Well, Mike, uh, I think that wraps everything up for our first episode. Uh, this was great. Again, everyone, you can expect weekly episodes coming from us covering everything that's going on in Mets land. We're really excited and appreciate you listening. Mike, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, Sal. I had a lot of fun. Same here. Thanks, guys, and get Mets memorized. Oh,